SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. They watch and listen. I can't go to the government, but you, you can. Because shit's going down, son. It is code pink, as in Floyd. Dark side. Why do you think no one's been up there since 1972? You're speaking English. I just, it's, it's a very strange English. That's why I'm not... Oh, oh. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts are vast that I. Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt bradley Shergi. With me is William Thrasher. Welcome, listeners. That is my impression of every character in this movie. Um, yeah, you know, I, the thing that jumped out when I saw this one, and uh, for listeners that don't know, we're talking about Transformers Dark of the Moon. Wrapping up our look at the Shia LaBeouf Transformers live-action trilogy, and we'll have a very, very special announcement at the end of the show that <laughs> is, uh, will rollick the sequel cast to World. It will shake as, podcasting to its very foundations. Just like all the uh, subwoofer action in this movie shook my bowels to their very foundations. We were warned by Adam Carolla not to do this, but we're doing it. Yes, against the advice of um, Adam Carolla, uh, Chris Hardwick, and Shecky Spielboig. <laughs> we are taking an exciting new step for Sequel Cast 2, but we'll let you know about that later at the end of the show, so stay tuned. I don't know why I say stay tuned for that. People aren't listening to this live, I don't think, but you can listen to it streaming on Stitcher Smart Radio. Check it out at stitcher.com. Okay. Transformers Dark of the Moon came out in 2011. Uh, High-level summary of the plot... Jeez, you know, something about, um, I do a high-level summary of the plot because one of our dear listeners, uh, Stephen, I believe, from the UK, who we had on for an episode as a guest, remember Thrasher? Oh, that's true, yeah. For, um, do you remember what, I don't remember what it was for, uh, I'm a bit embarrassed by that, but anyway, he, he stood up, he did the show at 3 a.m. his time in the UK to, to do a show with us, and with fans like that, who needs enemies? Um, so, um. Uh, Hi, Stephen, if you're listening. Yeah, and anyhow, what am I getting at? I don't know. Um, Something about the movie, I guess? Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He was the one that requested the, the high-level summaries because people might not have already seen the movie that we're talking about, um, which is fair. And it, it's tough to do because these Transformers movies are, are more dense than they should be, which we've talked about at length. Uh, however, this one is about... Um, Transformers, among other things, being responsible for the U.S. space race. And uh, Transformers and Decepticons are trying to transport their home planet of Cybertron uh, into Earth's atmosphere to ensure their home planet survival. The Decepticons are going to do that, but it will mean the destruction, um, or at least the, the massive changing of big parts of Earth. I think well, they also want to enslave the human population yes, and use yes. this as a slave labor force to rebuild their planet. That's right. Important detail there. Uh, so the Autobots... You have to stop them along with their buddy Sam Witwicky. Okay, that's good enough. Um, directed by Michael Bay, uh, same producer. Screenplay by Aaron Kruger. He was one of the writers on the second picture. 
Um, and he's also written things like um, Scream 3, and he's done a lot of uh, franchise pictures. Um, I always amused the credit said based on the Transformers action figures by Hasbro, which I believe is a slightly different credit than in the other films that just said based on Transformers by Hasbro, but I could be mistaken on that. Um, along with, you know, the usual people, Shia LaBeouf, Josh Duhamel, and John Turturro, you have Rosie Huntington-Whiteley, Patrick Dempsey, John Malkovich, and Francis McDormand, and cinematography by Amir Makri, music by G Steve Jablonski, editing by Roger Barton, William Goldenberg, and Joel Negron. Um, and this, this, was... this cast is an embarrassment of riches, and it includes yeah, yeah, Leonard it Nimoy. I, I, of course. I don't know why that's not listed here on Wikipedia at the top, but yes. Leonard Nimoy, who, of course, uh, can you explain his Transformers connection? So, yes, in the 1980s animated Transformer uh, film, Leonard Nimoy was the original voice of Galvatron. In that film, when Megatron is destroyed and is revived by Unicron as Galvatron, he, he, his voice changes from Frank Welker to Leonard Nimoy. And Leonard Nimoy has some great lines in that movie. I wish... I wish he had lines that good in this movie. Yeah, it's also, um, you know, around this time of Leonard Nimoy's life, he was having health problems, um, partially because he was a, you know, nonstop smoker, which a lot of people were of his age and his generation. You can you smoke. can hear his smoker's voice in this. Oh, yeah, you can hear the rasp. I mean, I think he was on, like, a, an oxygen stuff at the time, or at least doing some of those treatments, and... Uh, it does add to kind of the weatheredness of the character, but um, around the same time as this, he also did a voice for the uh, video game uh, Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. And oh, yeah. He sounds quite scratchy in that, too, and it's not modulated as much as it is here because he's a robot. Transformers Dark of the Moon, when did you first see this? This was on in the background while I was doing something else a few years ago. Uh, I saw. I've I've now seen this in its entirely twice. Once last weekend and once yesterday in preparation for this episode. Why did you put yourself through this twice? It just was on the background on TV, or you just I some don't noise? know. Okay, I mean this is not a short movie. None of these are, uh, but I find that interesting. Yeah, this I did not see in the theater because I really didn't care for the second one, Revenge of the Fallen. Um, and then I rented this. I fell asleep through some of it because it was just long and exhausting um, I did watch it for this show not that long ago and it was far better than I remembered this is and we'll get into this I think a more competent movie than the second one at the very least I find that difficult to argue well I um, feel I feel like if you could cut an hour out of this movie this might be a really good fun right, movie that, yeah. I, that I would like and the spectacle uh, at the end is quite like very good as far as the um, explosions and glass and slanted buildings and all well, that. It took three movies, but they finally figured out how to do action scenes with robots. Yes, and it doesn't involve uh, frame-fucking and shaking the camera every two seconds. They, they, yeah, I mean, we should... The way they make the Transformers look in this, they give them a bit of color, they give them a bit more visual distinctions. Well, um, they give some of the Autobots <laughs> visual distinctions by giving them uh, some sort of noticeable color scheme. All the Decepticons are interchangeable. They're just monsters with lots of eyes. Now, Megatron has a, uh, a sort of cape that looks stupid because he's a giant robot. 
Well, they really they really jump through hoops because Megatron has changed his form again. Now he turns into a Mad Max truck. And they really jump yep. through hoops so that the tarp on the Mad Max truck becomes a cape when he transforms. Oh, right. And it does and it does raise the question, why are these robots wearing clothes? Why yeah, you does do. he need a cape? You have this Decepticon that's kind of like the snake thing. Well, no, that's a vehicle that uh, Shockwave uh, drives. This crazy burrowing snake worm. But it's a major creature in the film. It reminds me sort of like of the Doc Ock tentacles from Spider-Man 2. Yeah, it shows up in a, a number of uh, action sequences. But yeah, um, so Shia LaBeouf, it should be noted, um, after this movie, he went to the press and basically shit on Michael Bay, shit on Steven Spielberg, shit on Oliver Stone, and hasn't done a mainstream huge budget movie since. It has basically done smaller uh, independent films, some really independent stuff that you haven't heard of. Including that music video for that song about how he's a cannibal. Uh, yes, and uh, he... You know, I don't know if he's having mental problems or something. He got arrested in Savannah, Georgia, where we both went to college. Um, really? I did not know that. Yeah, the, the footage was... Uh, the footage at the police station was leaked on TMZ, but he was basically saying, like, they shouldn't arrest him for public intoxication. How dare they touch him? And he was just being a real shit about it. And then later he did an apology statement. But he's been uh, he's been beat up by random dudes in Canada at bars, saying he could take them on and got the shit kicked out of him. Like I, he's a talented actor. I don't think he's good in this movie, but um, well, I, I think do... I, fig- I figured it out because yeah. in all three of these movies, the thing he's asked to do most is to scream incoherently. He's good at that, though. He's very good at, like, running and stammering. No, he's one of the best improvisational screamers there is. Yeah, in in this movie, for whatever reason, maybe they're inspired by the Battlestar Galactica uh, show from 2005 or something, but he tries to make it more dramatic and has a lot of people crying and tries to give an emotional heft, which I think just makes it sillier. I'm not saying you can't do a serious movie with Transformers, but it, given how jokey, especially the second film was, it, it's a strange turn. Well, there there are a lot of strange turns uh, turns in this film, and it, it it does jerk violently between comedy, action, yeah. horror, and schmaltz. I do love the first like five minutes, or a pretty energetic, astounding conspiracy theory stuff with NASA and Transformers. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of space porn and I I got to admit I'm a pretty big fan of the Apollo program so the moment you show me anything involving the Apollo program I am immediately invested. Uh that being said the longer they got the Buzz moon... Aldrin as a cameo. Yeah, I was I was going to bring that up because the longer the moon stuff goes on the more frustrated I get and I I hope Buzz Aldrin was paid very very well. Because there's a part of me that that cringes when Buzz Aldrin meets Optimus Prime and they talk about what an honor it is to meet each other. No, no. One of these guys is a goddamn American hero. The other is a fictional space robot. And and the other thing that really, really hurts me about that scene is with all the the nonsense about the moon landing being fake, I just – I feel bad that Buzz Aldrin is in a movie – 
where there is a moon conspiracy. <laughs> well, I think about 10 years ago, Buzz Aldrin was at some event and some uh, crazy person ran up to him and told him that the moon landing was a conspiracy and why doesn't he just confess about it? And Buzz Aldrin, at like 70 years of age, sucker punched the guy in the face and knocked him down cold. It's like, good for you, Buzz. <laughs> That's just great. That's He's that generation, the John Wayne kind of rough and tumble type. Um, but yeah, at the beginning, you know, we get... Uh, they love to focus on Cybertron, even though they don't... They mention Cybertron is important, but they never bother to explain why. But you get this opening scene that reminds me a bit of the, the very first episode of the animated series, really, where a ship is trying to escape. It, at first, I thought it's piloted by Optimus, but it's not. It's piloted by Sentinel Prime. Yes, and there's this whole thing about how there's this great figure called Sentinel Prime who had developed a technology that would have saved Cybertron and won the Autobots of the war, but he fled Cybertron and his ship got hit by a crazy, a, a very complicated missile uh, and was yeah. like missing and presumed dead. And they crashed on the moon, of course. But um, is, yeah, It crashes you, on the moon in the 60s. And, did you find the CG and stand-in doubles for um, JFK and Nixon to be convincing in the opening montage? Um, Nixon, yes, because he's got, he's got a face that looks like a mask. Uh, JFK, though, hey, no. yeah, that was I hideous. Agree. That somehow was looked worse than the JFK from Forrest Gump. And comparing the two, I think I figured it out. In Forrest Gump, uh, Ron Howard seems to be aware of the limitations of the digital technology they're using to provide the face of a dead president. Um, yeah. This movie is not aware of the limitations of that technology, and as a result, he, he looks a lot like that thing where you put uh, motion trackers on a person's face and then just and put a still image of another person's face over their face. That's what it looks like. It, it's like where you see uh, some of the CG in um, like some of the newer Final Fantasy games, where it looks good. But it's, it looks kind of like a plastic doll. Like, like it not, looks good until it moves or tries to it, express emotion. Yeah, it looks it looks great in still images. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, a, a weird choice to say the least. Because part of what they also do is use vintage footage of the presidents and you know change the lip movements with and dub it over with the sound alike. Which that's what Forrest Gump did basically, and that, that's pretty convincing. I mean, that technology's been around for a while. But there, there are many ways. Up, Close. In which I feel that this would be much more effective is instead of showing us the faces of dead presidents, if you just heard people talking in their voices and and hands reaching for different colored phones, you know, I, I feel like there'd be a more artful way to do this where the CGI, where you, you just take away the CGI faces so it's not distracting. Yeah, with the with one of the shots of Nixon, they do a good thing. Uh, I apologize, listeners. I have a cold. I'm quite stuffed up, so I sound more husky and sexy, I suppose. Um, Nixon, you see him for a split second, and then they rack focus to make him out of focus and make the foreground of the press people in focus. And I think that's pretty classy. I mean, a more recent example of, of um, movies making the same mistake, we're not quite there yet with the tech, is of the doubles of uh, the CG versions of Young Princess Leia and of uh, Moff Tarkin in oh, Star yeah. Wars Rogue One. Um, Curry Fisher, I think, actually looked pretty good, really. But, um, the, yeah. Well, keep, the, keep uh, in mind, Tarkin the, the, CGI, the CGI Leia in Rogue One is on screen for, like, less than a second. Yep. 
So the, the special true. effect, the bad, the potential badness of the special effect doesn't have time to weigh on you. Right. Um, we're not talking about stairwares. We're talking about transformers, <laughs> dark of the moon. Yeah. So um, so we get this whole we get this whole preamble with. Uh, <laughs> With, uh, you know, about the moon landing being done to salvage technology from this crashed Autobot starship. Uh, And then we cut to a butt ascending a a staircase. And whose butt is it? Uh, It is the butt of our female lead, uh, uh, Rosie Rosie Huntington-Whitley. And uh, how do you think she is? basically doing the um, the Megan Fox role. Megan Fox, I think we mentioned this last week, but was supposed to be in this film. And she compared Michael Bay to Hitler in an interview. That was a big no-no, a big surprise. And um, they did not put her to work on this third film. Yeah, well, she... I like I like her more in the first half of the film when when she gets to be something approaching her own character. In the second half of the film, she's just somebody that needs to be rescued, and it kind of fall it kind of falls flat. Oh wow, she's part uh, she's part Jewish, huh? Huh. And Polish, and okay. I, this this Wikipedia article it seems quite me like it it. This is one of the meanest descriptions I've read, and I'm sure it's from an interview. Educated at Tavistock College, she later revealed she was bullied and teased at school for having a double-barreled name, small breast, and full lips. A double-barreled name? Rosie Huntington-Whiteley. It is a mouthful. Well, it's Um, it's hyphenated, but... Yes, I mean, I I should talk. My last name is hyphenated after I got married, but yeah... Well, um, admittedly, kids who want to make fun of somebody will find anything about that person to mock them for. I remember in college when I guessed what people, how people made fun of you, um, that they called you Trasher, right? Uh, actually, no, that stuff that stuff ended in college, thankfully. Well, y- yes, yes, but I, anyway, but yeah, my, uh, my last name was Shergi, and I got teased for that to be called Turkey. Really, not Shaggy. Or, no, not Shaggy. Um, Scroogey. But, I mean, the, the, the real nickname that, that stuck was, um, I, um, how do I say this? Have a walking disability where I, I walk on my toes a lot. And that's something oh, yes. that I've corrected on with, with surgery to a great degree. Um, I was born three months premature. It's because of that. And they would call me Twinkie because I walked like I had a Twinkie shoved up my ass. So, um, not related to my last name whatsoever. And a painful memory, but I don't eat Twinkies because of that. That sucks. Although, although I will admit, guys. you're not missing much. One Twinkie is great any more than one yeah. Twinkie is terrible. You know, um, every once in a while, if I see it on a menu, I'll get a fried Twinkie, and those are quite good. Hmm. With the, um, uh, yeah, but, you know, you mentioned the, the, the tones are jarring, and I don't like what they do with Shia LaBeouf's character, Sam Witwicky. Well, he's he's apparently graduated from college in two years. Yeah, and that and that's fine. Like, I don't have a problem with that. And that he his character gets a medal from Obama. He like, gets a presidential medal of freedom, right, for saving the for helping save the world twice. It's like cool. I get it, and I think it's 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 funny and dare I say a bit satirical that even with the presidential medal of freedom and graduating college really fast, he cannot um, get a job. And and yet I feel like that. 
that can't be intentional satire. I feel like these movies aren't smart enough to pull that off. But I, I found that just a, a witty touch, if nothing else. If it's not satire, I think that's a funny detail, and I, I like the business at the beginning when his parents are visiting, and they're like, oh, you don't have a job at your age. I had six jobs out of college. You know, all those sort of uh, cliched kind of discussions. And one of the places he goes to interview has John Malkovich as his boss, who I think only is in a single scene. Is that right? Uh, he's No, he's in, uh, he's in like two scenes. He's in... Okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry, three scenes. He's in this interview scene, he's in a boardroom scene, yeah. and then he's in a scene later where it appears that he's working for Sam. Odd. Um, yeah, I mean, so but it's not a huge part. But the interview scene, I think, is pretty funny. Malkovich plays it up really quirky. Michael Bay likes it when his actors go over the top, and Malkovich uh, delivers in spades. Well, there's this great thing where, like, in the middle of the interview... He just kind of stops and says, and like gets on his intercom and says, "Excuse me, why is Catherine drinking from a red mug? This is the yellow yes. floor." And he and fires just, her for that, and she's crying. It's uh, that's a weird bit funny. of business that I like that he has, <laughs> but it's it's so strange. And like, and, and this is after a lengthy job hunt montage set to "Sweet Emotion" by Aerosmith, and I have no idea why. It yes. Is. Like I feel, um, I feel like that. Did you think it's because Michael Bay can get the rights for Aerosmith cheap because he helped them have a big hit with uh, their number for um, uh, Armageddon? I mean, it could be. It could be because they have a really good relationship. Although the other hand, it, it's it's so out of place in that montage that I feel like that was a placeholder track while they were looking for a different pop song, could and be. then just decided, no, screw it, just use the placeholder. Well, that happens a lot. I mean. Famously with uh, the score to Alien, which was composed by Jerry Goldsmith, um, much of the, the temp tracks was uh, Vivaldi music, and they kept a lot of Vivaldi in the final cut because Ridley Scott fell in love with the temp music, which isn't uncommon um, when you're cutting together a film. But it, it, it pissed it off can. Jerry Goldsmith you'll, to no end. You'll, you'll hear things like that on a lot of audio commentaries. This was originally oh, yeah. a temp track, but we liked it so much we just got the rights and kept it in. There's a Futurama gag about that. Oh, so, but then after all the job hunting stuff, then we cut to a the Autobots doing a mission for the U.S. government in Chernobyl, and they find this Cybertronic sphere, but then are attacked by Shockwave riding his giant worm thing. Um, Frank Welker is Shockwave in this, and they make him sound just like he did in the cartoon. I thought that was a nice touch. Um, however, in the cartoon, Shockwave, his, if I have this character right, his chest was like a, a boombox cassette player. Oh, no, that's, that's, uh, Soundwave. Shockwave Damn it. turned into, okay. it was the Cyclops that turned into a high-tech laser gun. All right, Although mistake, we do get Soundwave but, later. Okay, but you do have the character, am I dreaming this or am I right, where it's a cassette tape that changes into a, like a, a bird. Well, he, he's a, uh, so Soundwave yeah. is a robot that turns into a boombox, and Laserbeak was a cassette Laserbeak, that turned into a it. bird. But Laserbeak is in this film as a flying bird thing, which I thought was a nice touch. And, and strange, strangely enough, this is one of the few Transformer designs that I think is really successful. They, the Laserbeak, the Laserbeak creature that they've created looks like a bird, Kind of looks like it can fly with those like jet turbines that are in the wings. Its face is very, very expressive and has a lot of personality and menace to it. And it also 
kind of looks like a real bird. Like it, 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 he has this general vulture type shape that I think is really, really successful. It's well animated. It's I find kind of scary, and he assassinates a lot of characters in the movie. I'm surprised how dark this gets at times. Well, that, that's I'm, where the that's where the, the the movie really kind of kicks off is that right. uh, Megatron. You know, we see Megatron in the African desert, presumably having survived being killed in the previous film, and he sends Laserbeak out to start tying up loose ends, and there's like a file of people who like used to work at NASA. So Laserbeak travels the world killing these former scientists and astronauts and whatnot. And there's this really there's this really dark scene that that has a, a big problem for me where Laserbeak flies family. to this house in the suburbs yeah, and yeah. turns himself into a pink bumblebee and is having a tea party with this little girl, and when her parents come home, it kills her parents. Uh and that's the I mean the, the implication is that this girl sees a robot killing her parents right in front of her, which I think is a way too disturbing an idea for a movie based on an action figure from the eighties. But beyond, beyond that, this is the movie where I feel like they just say, fuck it. Transformers can do anything. Yeah. Because like, so, so you're, you're a robot in disguise, but you disguise yourself as another disguising robot. Why doesn't he just turn into a coffee maker or something and wait for her parents to come downstairs for breakfast? Why why go through the whole facade of pretending to be a robot having a tea party? Um, I mean, that, that sequence might be one of my favorite sequences of the movie. It's disturbing. It's well-framed. Well, they also um, do this... I, I, well, one thing they do that makes it really effective is that at the moment of the attack, they cut to a few frames of black. It's effective in that sequence. However, several times in the film, they cut to a few frames of black, and it gets annoying. There's a it's lot of jump cuts coming up, too. And I wonder if they got an R rating originally and had to cut back. You get the sense they're pulling their punches a little bit. Uh, one of the Transformer, or one of the Autobots, in fact, in the later in a later scene, says "cluster fuck," and they cut out. They cut off right in the middle of the phrase when he says "cluster fuck," and they cut. Yeah, yeah, because that's the other thing is that Sam, despite not being a part of the Sector Seven intelligence division that works with the Autobots, has two Autobots living with him. He has Wheelie and returning Tom Kenny as Wheelie and Stereotype Bot. It's a different Stereotype Bot, though, is it not? Yeah, I don't. What? What is? I never. I don't think I ever once heard his name. Um, I'm sure he had a toy. Uh. You get John Turturro is, is back as Agent Simmons. He has less to do in this movie, but it, it's nice to see him. Uh, more importantly, Frances McDormand is the director of National Intelligence, and she gives a far better uh, solid performance than this movie deserves. I don't think I don't know if she realizes what kind of movie she's in, but it's she plays it like it's a dead serious film, and I'm not sure if that performance works. But she's she's watchable. She's very good. Well, she's 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 trying. What about Alan Tudyk? I, Alan Tudyk is always a treat. Uh, when he shows up in a movie, he's very often the best thing in that movie. And his his scenes are... Okay, Alan Tudyk's scenes I find so delightful. I wish there was a movie with him and John Turturro's character traveling the world, having secret agent adventures that has nothing to do with Transformers. Much like Johnny Depp, he's not British, but they sure do have him speak in British accents a lot. 
well, in this one, he has like an Austrian accent. His his nickname is Dutch, and there's like a thing where like he apparently is some sort of super badass but retired intelligence operative who can kind of do anything. And I just, I just, I just love, I love him, him, his hyper competence combined with Totoro's kind of goofball bluster. They really complement each other so well. It should be mentioned, Amon, you know, being in, like, Serenity and, and uh, Firefly and stuff like that, he also was the uh, sassy robot in Star Wars Rogue One. And well, he's, he's, in a, he's stereotyped he's, as the sassy robot because he's also the sassy robot in uh, iRobot. Oh, yeah, that was an early motion capture role for him. I love the, um, some some tweet I read, I don't remember who said who said it, unfortunately, said uh, people this guy had went to a press screening of rogue one and says the robot is sassy and then people are asking how sassy is the robot and he responds if anything he's a little too sassy um (laughs) which is pretty funny but i think yeah he's he's solid in this film and um it's nice that they have good actors in this even though the dialogue is pretty much nonsense yeah but the uh the Autobots, so the Autobots fly their spaceship to the moon because Optimus Prime recognizes the ship because the sphere is from the ship. And apparently the Russians salvaged that with an unmanned probe. They get back the body of Sentinel Prime, use the Matrix of Leadership to reactivate him. We get some nice Leonard Nimoy moments. Uh, yeah, I, the robot has a goatee. Well, he has he has a beard. Yeah. A beard well, that's yes. Well, they go nuts though with the robot hair in this movie because like the little robot living with Sam has crazy Einstein hair. Uh, Cube, and I don't know why they pronounced his name Cube. The old inventor robot has this kind of uh, he, he's balding. He has male. He has robot pattern baldness and fiber optic hair. And they tried they tried the old trick of trying to make it seem like he's an established robot when this is the first movie he's in. Well, they do that with every robot. Every every robot, it's as if they just expect you to automatically know everything about them. Like, right. no one gets any... And as a result, the only character traits we see are these minor affectations, like the robot that keeps switching between an over-the-top Spanish and over-the-top Italian accent. Or the Scottish robot. I didn't mind the Scottish robot as much, but yeah. Well, he doesn't, I mean, have, a, he doesn't have enough lines to get annoying. Part of this movie, it focuses so much on uh, the military aspect with uh, some of the characters from the original, like John Turturro and Tyrese Gibson, that it, I almost felt like I was watching a G.I. Joe movie. And it's weird seeing Shia LaBeouf um, as Sam Witwicky taking a job out of college that's like an office job. Meanwhile, he has all this, you know, uh, fighting and uh, science experience. Yeah, he appears to be working in the mailroom. Right, and yet he is leading and telling these, like, um, you know, Navy SEALs or whatever they are, telling the Army guys what to do. Well, that that's the strange thing, because I feel like out of college, Sector 7 probably should have offered him a job only because right. no one has yeah. more experience dealing with Transformers than him. He is, technically speaking, Earth's leading Transformer expert. So why wouldn't he get a job in the intelligence community that has to deal with Transformers? 
And if you did that, you could have had, you know, some fun gags of sort of like Full Metal Jacket meets Transformers with Shia LaBeouf running around. Oh, that, that. that would have been fun. Okay, so that's that's something that really bothered me. So early on, when we first, when the Transformers go back to base, there's this thing on a loud spe- loudspeaker about how Bumblebee is going to be helping soldiers with training. And there's this real quick thing, but that is so in frame, it's as if they want us to really notice it, where Bumblebee shows these guys how to do a, like, ambush kill attack on a Decepticon that involves soldiers jumping on jumping on his, his uh, or ziplining onto his uh, shoulders to knock him off balance, then ziplining to his feet and shooting him in the head. I'm like, oh, we're going to see them do that to a Decepticon later. We don't. Am I the only person that was reminded of the Avengers movie when watching this film? Uh, how, which which one? The one with Uma Thurman? No, not the one with Uma Thurman. The, the, the comic book one. Oh, yes. Because you had these sort of, like, these spaceships hovering through a big city. You had a plot of them trying to transport aliens and stuff to... A blue space laser. A blue, a blue space laser. You had, you know, the main objective in the final mission was a tower... They were trying to remove things to facilitate a, a transport of bad things. Big whale-like transport ship. You read about that? Yeah. Too. And but I mean, you know, this came out in 2011. Adventures came out in 2012. Both those films are in production for years. I, I think it, it's sort of a, a coincidence on some level. But I, I did get deja vu watching Transformers. I'm like I've already seen this in or in watching Avengers. And I'm like I've already seen this before. Like, uh, and I think it's neat that you Chicago as a city instead of New York. It's it is neat. I can only assume that they got like a tax break or something, which yep. is why it's in Chicago. Yep, yep, yep. And also, you know, um, at least the first two out of the three Dark Knight films also use Chicago for Gotham City. And so. and that's that's a missed opportunity because we find out that the technology that uh, Sentinel Prime perfected that only he can operate is the space bridge, which is generated by these floating pillars, pillars which yeah. the Decepticons end up taking from the moon, because it turns out the moon is lousy with Decepticons. The moon's just covered in them. Um, Megatron and, has one of the worst lines of dialogue I've ever heard, where he says something like, Decepticons around the world release the portals. It's like, stop it. No. Well, that's... Uh, well, around the survivors of Perimeter create, but that that's the real missed <laughs> opportunity because to make the space bridge work to pull Cybertron into Earth's orbit, uh, they have to have these pillars deployed around the world. But we don't see that. We only see the pillars in Chicago. And I feel I feel like maybe you, that's you what they should have done. Yeah. Make the final confrontation a montage of Transformers fighting each other all around the world. I mean, right. if, if you want it, because Michael Bay loves disaster porn, so why not see uh, Wheeljack and Starscream fighting on the Eiffel Tower and then another two, another Autobot Decepticon pairing fighting at the Taj Mahal. And just use all the, destroy all the best set pieces Earth has to offer. Right, Independence Day did it. Why not Transformers? But um, what about the Transformers, um, the, the, all the action, much of it is saved for the end of the film. Like, a lot of the middle of this film is kind of a stupid soap opera between Sam Witwicky, his girlfriend, and his girlfriend's boss, played by Patrick Dempsey. And don't forget a lot of broad comedy between uh, Sam Witwicky and Ken Jong as Jerry Wang. Yeah. Yeah, because it turns out Wang blame. is one of the scientists God. that Laserbeak needs to needs to kill, but bef- and and he knows something's coming, so Wang 
knows who Sam Witwicky is, which again, I don't know why everyone doesn't know who he is and tries to like fill him in on the whole moon conspiracy leading to a lot of really, really bad comedy. And it's too bad because Ken John can be quite funny when he's doing his own you know, shows like Community and stuff like that. But Oh no, he's great. It's just that this character feels like it's in a completely different movie and just the nonsense with like pulling Sam into the men's room and taking his pants off. It all just seems... <laughs> Yeah. It, it seems so, like, at best it seems out of place, and at worst it comes off as homophobic. It also strikes me, like, how hackers were portrayed in 90s movies. Recall uh, in GoldenEye how, um, oh, what did, Alan Cumming played a Russian hacker who had lines like, I like big boobs. Oh, yeah, he was always telling and, the dirty jokes in that movie. Yeah, it, it's that same kind of mentality, and... Yes, a lot of people that work in IT are perverts, but not all of them. And you could do more interesting beats with the characters besides being like, isn't it, isn't it weird he's uh, pulling down Shia LaBeouf's pants? What well, no, no, he pulls down like, his own pants. Well, he pulled down, right, but I mean, he pulls down his own pants, but like it's just, it just doesn't really work. It It's a good actor that's just not given much to work with and... Uh, we we have seen time and time again. Often, uh, Michael Bay is not afraid of stereotypes. Oh yeah, because there's there's that there's that uh, Latino woman who works at the company who apparently doesn't speak English, who just dresses God. like a supermodel and is only there to be fired for dressing like a supermodel. Yep. And then and then the guy who fires her goes on this whole weird tangent about Latin meltdowns. It. it I don't understand what any of this stuff in these office scenes is supposed to do. And then the other crime is they don't use Andy Daly for anything. Oh, he isn't that. That's right. Yeah, and like he, but and he's he's one of our. He's a great comedian, a great actor, and a great improviser. And if he improvised anything for these scenes, they certainly didn't use any of it. I I look at the running time of this film. It's over two and a half hours long. Felt like three. Felt like four to me, but yeah, it's. I I don't understand how, the film plot does not need to be this complicated. You don't need all this business. I think you're right. They could lift an hour out of this film, and you wouldn't be missing much. Well, it also um, it also creates it it also makes its relationship to the two previous movies very complicated because it because it's revealed that it turns out. Uh, Megatron didn't come to Earth searching for the AllSpark. He actually came to Earth to rendezvous with Sentinel Prime, because it turns out Sentinel Prime was going to double-cross the Autobots and was going to give the Space Bridge technology to the Decepticons. But apparently, Megatron got to Earth sometime before the 1800s, and uh, Sentinel Prime ship the Ark didn't crash on the moon till the 60s, which I guess could happen, you know, if the ship wasn't traveling faster than light. We really don't get any sense of how fast it was traveling when it fled uh, Cybertron. But that the Decepticons also came to the Earth to get the Matrix of Leadership to revive Sentinel Prime, who they knew would be deactivated. And so it's one, it's one of those it's one of those being captured is what I wanted to have happen sort of things. It's it's very very complicated and doesn't jive with what's established in the previous films, uh, and then beyond that, it just sets up a sudden but inevitable betrayal uh, where uh, Sentinel Prime betrays the Autobots, steals the control pillars, 
and starts to help the Decepticons cross uh, Cybertron over. I feel um, Optimus Prime really acts out of character in this film. No, no, he's he angry, really does. He's pissed, and um, he does pretty gruesome executions near the end. I was kind of shocked. I'm glad you mentioned that, because <laughs> this this really started to bother me in this film. Whenever we see the Decepticons kill somebody, it's usually a pretty quick death. Can't I can't quite say painless, but at least it's over quickly. And yet most of the time when we see the Autobots uh, take a life, it's a gruesome dismemberment. I, in fact, was sympathizing with uh, Sentinel Prime at the end a little bit. It's like, oh, he just wanted to save his planet. In a very <coughs> screwed up way. <laughs> well, yes, it's good idea, bad execution. Um, but there's a whole bunch of business in Chicago. Uh, I mean, I, way I too much happens in Chicago. Is, yeah, I do think the third act in this is pretty good, though, once the action starts going and the Autobots unite. It takes way too long for that to happen. But yeah, because the Autobots get kicked off over. fights in the streets. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Is like the Autobots get get exiled from Earth when the Decepticons take over, and their ship gets blown up on takeoff, but that's okay, because they weren't going to take off. They were hiding in a booster rocket that was going to splash down in the ocean, which that's that's pretty clever. And that yeah. and that's a plan that works whether or not their ship is blown up, which is, which is smart. But, um... But with with all this, there's just there's 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 too much going on. I find it's just one right. it's just one fight scene and stunt spectacular after another, and and it just it just starts to get t- uh, tedious. It does. It does. Um, oh, okay, this is so something you, that had, really bothers me. Yeah, is that. The Decepticons take over the world way too easy. And what, there's like 12 of them? It doesn't seem like a lot, yeah. Like, they just announce they're in charge, and Earth just says, just shrugs and says, okay. <coughs> and then gets rid of the Autobots. Like, I, 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 I do not know why the military of the United States, let alone the militaries of every industrialized nation in the world doesn't just destroy the 12 Decepticons that are threatening the Earth. It, yeah, it doesn't seem especially well thought out. Um, I do like... I think the final showdown between Optimus, um, Megatron, and um, Sentinel Prime is pretty good. Well, the, the fight between Sentinel Prime go. and Optimus Prime is, 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 is very well done, and then when Megatron shows up and interrupts the fight because he wants to rule the Decepticons and he's worried Sentinel Prime's going to take over. That's a nice, sudden, but inevitable betrayal moment. And then the final showdown between Optimus and Megatron. And Optimus is pretty wounded at this point. It's it's kind of it's actually kind of heartbreaking to see him lose his arm. That's a pretty decent flight, a fight. And, and yet his, kill, his execution of Megatron is so gruesome, the way he wedges his it axe is. into Megatron's head and pulls out his head and spine and all these like, attached bits. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a Mortal Kombat fatality, really. And it's even like, though, I mean, yes, I realize it's not blood. You see oil spatter everywhere, but it's intense. I don't think quite earned. I mean, you know, maybe the idea is they thought this was the last Transformers film and you want to see Megatron go down for good. 
And could like, have done well, we've, it. Seen, we've already seen him go down for good twice. Twice, yeah, that's right. So I have no reason to believe that the, he won't come have. back and, and somehow. Also, don't um, the segment where they're fighting Starscream a little earlier in the film, I think, is pretty good with the explosion in the eye, and they're trying to disconnect as they're getting flood all around. Um, oh yeah, and it's a nice callback to the cartoon how uh, Optimus has energy weapons on his arms, and one of those is an axe. Yeah, that's that's a nice that's a nice bit of attention to detail, and I, I have to, I have to wonder if that comes down to the animators knowing the source material rather than any note in the script. I guarantee you, some of the animators know the source material better than Michael Bay. Um, I couldn't <laughs> track down the interview, but I, I recall reading one where they tried to show Michael Bay every episode of the animated series, and after about ten minutes into the first episode, he forced them to shut it off, and he wanted to claw his own eyes out, and instead. Hasbro put him through what he called Transformers College and sort of gave uh. him the high-level rundown of the characters and what they mean and why the fans care about it. I I kind of like to see the reel that they showed him or the presentation that they showed him. Yeah, wouldn't that be interesting to see? Because, I mean, uh, there's been several different takes of the Transformers on TV constantly since the early 80s. They've done a good job of keeping that brand alive. Uh, whether I mean, I don't think Toys toy sales or anything what they used to be except for the collector's market um i was just doing you know christmas shopping for my uh, nephews and nieces and, and so so forth and they're um i was a bit i hadn't been in a toy section in a while and there's just not a whole lot there anymore i don't think you know the action figures are quite expensive i don't know what do you think about that i i uh my main thought about action figures is that i miss die cast construction are you talking about the Transformer toys themselves? Yeah, just like there, there's just some, yeah, there's something yeah. very satisfying about die cast metal in a toy. And some of the transformations were quite hard to do, as I recall. Um, but man, the one toy I had was from the Transformers animated movie, and it was Galvatron. Oh yeah. And I mean, I think that's had I it been left mint in box all these years, I think that's worth quite a bit. Um, it probably more... would be, but like, how could we know that this franchise would still be alive well, thirty years right. later and yeah. it'd still be? But, you know, why, why is that? And yeah, and and who, maybe in an alternate universe, it's not Transformers that became uh, long longevity, but instead it's Jason the Wheeled Warriors, <laughs> or or the uh, subhumanoids. Uh, Inhumanoids. Oh, yeah, Inhumanoids. That's the title. The evil that lies within. Um. Yeah, full disclosure, I know one of the guys that wrote on that show, Flint Dill, is an cool. acquaintance of mine, and, and he worked, I mentioned this before, but he that was one of the writers in the Transformers animated film. Um, and he actually, I've I, I read, uh, he, he will sometimes post little capsule reviews of things, and um, he, he likes the live action movies, and he thinks in some ways the plotting is more daring and original than what they came up with on the animated show because they're under such a crunch for time to pump out all those episodes to meet the different toy requirements for each episode. Because the way he described the writing process, and I, I've probably gone into this before, so I'll make this short. Actually, I don't but... believe you have. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school here. Um, if it is, uh, let me know, Flint, although I don't think you listen to this, but maybe you do. If you are, thank you. Um, he... I was had a conversation with him, and he mentioned it was like oftentimes they would. So he wrote, uh, started with a lot of GI Joe stuff, 
Um, and then later, uh, he's also one of the writers on <clears throat> Five Old Goes West, an American Tale 2. And, <clears throat> uh, but anyhow, in the Transformers, he worked in the movie, and then he worked in the third and fourth seasons of the cartoon. And, and he mentioned that often the toy companies would say, okay, this episode's coming out this, it's tied in with these toy releases, you've got to have, you know, like 50 toys in this episode, and each one has to have a line of dialogue. <laughs> and you got to figure out some sort of a story, good luck. It's, it's, so they've, they've had to, you know, they're, they're, but sometimes, you know, given constraints, that can help with the creative process. Um, that would explain uh, the structure of the uh, episode of Transformers that introduces the Target Masters, where yeah, I believe yeah. every tar- with one exception, every Target Master only gets two lines. The line where they say their name and the line where they do something that kind of shows a personality. Right, and they had to um, write very quickly. They had to record the episode's dialogue pretty quickly, and uh, the animation was all done overseas, but um, as was the practice then, and it still is the practice now, largely, to be honest. So yeah, interesting bit of Transformers trivia. Um, but yeah, Transformers, Dark of the Moon... Uh, I give this movie a sequel, yes. I think it's really? better than the, than the second film. And I, I think, <clears throat> even though it, it, you could cut an hour out of this, I agree with that. But I think once the action gets started, um, just the visuals in the streets of Chicago, I, I think, are, are pretty spectacular and rewarding. And a uh, really cool scene where um, there's a building on its side that's, that's a kind of uh, makeshift bridge to where the portals are. And you have a scene of people sliding down this building as glass is shattering that that i think visually is pretty cool uh, and you get a scene of people in the squirrel suits flying around <laughs> uh, which i think fascinates me but i would never do that in a million years <laughs> oh what would you give transformers dark of the moon uh i i think there's a sequel yes movie in here that's fair. But it's surrounded by a lot of fat and kind of scarred connective tissue. So I am going to give it a I'm going to give it a sequel no, but it's a mild sequel no, about as mild as the sequel no that I gave the first film. So you've given a sequel no to this whole trilogy. Yes, yeah, uh, yes I have. I don't know if Even I don't this is was that a one first that you... for the series. I think so. I haven't been keeping track since it's a fairly new development. Uh, in the Someone game. start a sequel cast to Wiki and keep track of that stuff for us. <coughs> we will be eternally grateful. I might start one myself. That's not a bad idea. I just cool. don't have time to actually contribute to it. But yes. Um, so, why don't you do your pitch a sequel? Oh, gosh. So my, my pitch of sequel, I do I do like the idea of uh, Transformers, uh, Transformers Conspiracies. So I might as well, like a lot of my uh, Transformers sequel pitches, I want to go I want to go back into the past. So this okay. one, but this one's also this one's going to be a crossover. And I know we talked about how it's how this is, feels like a Transformers meets G.I. Joe, which did happen in the comics, and supposedly there is such a film in development. Whether it will ever get made remains to be seen. But I want to cross Transformers over with another franchise. Oh? Uh, it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be uh, Transformers Transformation Nation. And it's going to cross over with the National Treasure franchise with Nicolas Cage. And... <laughs> 
Nicolas okay. Cage will both play his character from National Treasure, but will also vo- he'll have a cameo voicing one of the Transformers, uh, possibly sure. a Dinobot. I would love to hear him go crazy as Grimlock. Um, and Grimlock the, likes kisses. I don't know. like Jimmy Stewart. Ha, 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 not the bees. Not in my mouth. Not um, the bee bots. <laughs> not the insectoids. not want to die from bee stings. Um... But the whole premise is that it turns out Autobots have been here since the 1700s. And in fact, uh, a small cadre of Autobots, including including Optimus Prime, who will turns into a clipper ship for some reason, they helped with the American Revolution. I like this. Okay. But in the process of doing the American Revolution, because you always have to have a Transformers MacGuffin, you know, we've had the Matrix, we've had the AllSpark, we've had the Space Bridge, so this MacGuffin will be the key to Vector Sigma, the control unit for the supercomputer at the core of Cybertron. Uh, And... They hid the, uh, the the United States was founded to create an infrastructure to hide the key to Vector Sigma so that the Decepticons wouldn't have it. Because whoever has the key to Vector Sigma can activate Vector Sigma and basically turn the whole planet of Cybertron into a Transformer factory. So it, the planet would just start spewing forth limited Decepticon, li, uh, limitless Decepticons if they if they got it. So. They they entrusted the key to Vector Sigma with the founding fathers, uh, and uh, it's it's hidden somewhere. And so Nicolas Cage he discovers that all these like bits of like Masonic symbolism in Washington D.C. actually indicate to there being some sort of treasure hidden in Washington D.C. And so he is trying to find this treasure, which unknown to him is the key to Vector Sigma. And when he finds it. The Decepticons take it from him because it turns out he was tricked into working for the Decepticons this whole time. So Nicolas Cage has to team up with Optimus Prime to get the key to Vector Sigma back before it uh, reactivates the computer in Cybertron. And so they will all go to space at some point. But the real highlight of the movie is when it turns out the Washington Monument is actually a Transformer. And the Washington Monument uh, turns into... uh, in, into was is it o- Omega Supreme was the the rocket ship transformer uh, something like that yeah it turns out that uh, the Washington Monument is Omega Su- yes that was it Omega Supreme and the Washington Monument transforms into this giant skyscraper sized robot for an awesome battle in the National Mall so that's going to be Transformers Transformation Nation cool. Uh- you know, I think if I were doing a, a sequel to this film, uh, I'd want to go into the future. I'd want to, you know, assuming that Shia LaBeouf doesn't want to do it, I'd back up the money truck to try and get him back because he's a key part of the franchise. <laughs> he, he would still say no. And uh, I would try and, uh, you know, do what they're they're doing for the Bumblebee spinoff film and, and make things aim for a little bit of a younger crowd hmm. for more of a four-quadrant, sort of the Pixar kind of thing. In fact, I would make it, speaking of which, I'd make it animated, CG, uh, all animated, because these films are practically all animated anyway, with all the uh, animation elements in almost every scene. And I would have it be a uh, loosely inspired by the, I think it's a two-part finale of season one of the animated series, where Megatron, uh, and I, I think for the designs, I would keep the designs of the film but can't be somewhat simplified cg maybe with cell shading kind of look and it would be uh megatron manages to configure the um energon 
in such a way with um, using bits and the, the plot would start would be Transformers would wake up from their recharging uh, breaks and you know, that's what they do instead of naps I guess uh, and they find out <laughs> little pieces of them would be missing and they're like oh that's I must have dropped a screw here this is strange and it turns out uh, like a I don't know laser beak and, and some of those smaller uh, Transformers have been snipping pieces off of all the different Autobots and delivered it to um, Megatron. And Megatron has this elaborate, uh, almost like robo-pagan ceremony in which he has the Decepticons, you know, brick off a piece of their uh, armor, a chink off their armor, uh, so to speak. And uh, he, he mixes it in sort of this uh, uh, techno-cauldron brew and um, with Energon cubes and bathes his body in this and he absorbs the power of all the Transformers. And so he has the powers of all the good guys and all the bad guys, and he's he's basically a god. And the Transformers have to um, stop him. And it would end with um, Megatron appears to be dead. Stark Scream rises, and uh, even though Stark Scream is killed in Dark of the Moon, I, I think of some excuse for them to be back. Maybe I would set it between the first and second film just for shits and giggles. Well, I can't do that because they fucking killed Megatron. Damn it. Okay. Oh, they can and bring you... him back again. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's like uh, Blowfield, right? They always bring him back. So There can be Decepticon Matrix of Tyranny that brings him back or something. Right. And so, you know, um, it ends with uh, Starscream rising for power. And um, the Autobots realize that despite the fact that they're really skilled, they almost didn't survive the mission. And they have to uh, find a find a greater source of strength as it ends. And and I would call it um auto deceptive bot former <laughs> part 2 part 2 the quickening <laughs> electric boogaloo electric boogaloo da, da, da. Oh, wait, that's a... <laughs> is that the song we're going to end up playing at the end of the episode? No, I think the song might be the robot song by Flight of the Concords. Hmm, that distant future. I guess, but there's not much of a chorus. What do you think would be a good song at the end? Well, uh, actually, I was initially I was going to say Vivaldi, uh, since we talked about Vivaldi being used as a tramp track so much. Okay, I but can... of course we're not done with the show yet. No. Um, speaking of which, let's move on to what you're watching. Um, I. Haven't you know? I'm in the middle of moving and kind of downsizing a bit to um, save some money. We want to buy some property and having to live with our um, in-laws to to save up to do that, um, which will so uh, a lot of changes. But I think it'll be good. Um, I don't really want to get into it, but uh, so I haven't had much time to watch movies in my spare time other than for the show. But I did check out um, PlayStation Network on PlayStation Four has been having a sale. And I picked up a game I've mean to pick up for $5. And it's because I'm a Back to the Future horror on PS4 and Xbox One, not in PC for some reason. They did a 30th anniversary version of the Back to the Future game from Telltale Games. So well, to be fair, game. you're not a Transformers horror. You're, or you're not a Back to the Future horror. You're a Back to the Future slut. Right. Slut. Horror. Arose but they had the, the all they had all the Telltale games? Sweet. 
I don't know. Oh, it, it's so it's not all the Telltale games. It's it's the Back to the Future game, which is came out in 2011 or something like that. But this 30th anniversary, and, and, and that title is misleading because Back to the Future was 30 years old. Uh, at the time, the game itself was maybe five years old. But when they did the game originally, uh, the role of Biff was played by a soundalike because Tom Wilson was not available. Oh yeah. To tie in with the 30th anniversary, um, like Blu-ray re-release. They got Tom Wilson to do the lines of all the different Biffs. And I've been waiting for it to go on sale, and for $5 I picked it up. And um, it's, a, it's a good adventure game, a lot of puzzles. I, I still have quite a bit to play in it, but I like how melancholy it is in the beginning. And Have, have you ever played it before? No, regrettably, I haven't. And um, it, it controls pretty good with the controller, I have to say, um, because Telltale does a good job with their adventure games of limiting... Uh, the amount of moving you have to do around from screen to screen. Um, and there's different, you can configure the amount of hints you get and so forth. So it could be as easy, as hard as you want. Uh, the lip syncing isn't great, I noticed, which is a bit distracting. Hmm. But, um, and unfortunately, Telltale Games, which is based out of San Francisco, just laid off a huge amount of their staff because they were making too many licensed games all at once and kind of not having sales enough, I, I think, to, to meet um, expectations because they were doing Game of Thrones and Minecraft Adventure and uh, uh, Batman and Guardians of the Galaxy, all kinds of stuff. So it's a good company. I wish them well, but if you like Back to the Future, that's the version to get. Having Tom Wilson as Biff makes a huge difference. The sound alike was fine, but it's not Biff. Tom Wilson is very good at being an asshole, uh, and Biff is perhaps his best asshole. Next, of course, to Maniac from Wind Commander. <laughs> three through five. <laughs> Speaking of assholes, uh, I want to touch on this monumental piece of news that looks like it's going to go through. Oh, yes. Disney and Fox. Disney oh, taking over yeah. Fox's entertainment assets, which of all the nerds, and I'm one of them, have talked about online, means Disney gets the rights. Disney and also Marvel, which they own, and they also own Star Wars, uh, the Lucas, let me, lest you forget, um, now owns X-Men and Fantastic Four. Um, however, Fox has filmed a X-Men film uh, that's going to be their second try at the Dark Phoenix saga. But I wonder <laughs> after that if they're going to reboot. Um, now, the federal government has to approve this merger uh, with um, Trump as the current president of the United States. I think he will approve it. Um, Fox will still exist as solely a news network, and I think their, their sports and financial networks will, will be a single entity. So they're getting rid of all their entertainment stuff. But Fox has a, a huge, rich library of titles, not just the comic stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Alien. Uh, I saw people joking that, oh, that means the Alien Queen is now a Disney princess. Well, so is Dr. Frankenverter. Oh, my God, you're right. I didn't even think of Rocky Horror. Um <laughs> And, uh, you know, Deadpool. Um, so we wonder, is that going to... I, I feel um, Disney buying out Fox's entertainment assets makes it too large of a company. I didn't like when they... The Marvel, I was kind of okay with, but um, Star Wars made sense. I mean, they were trying to get the, the boys' market, and now getting Fox Entertainment just seems greedy and almost monopolistic. 
Well, and, and I guess that's my concern, because as, as awesome as it would be to see a, a, a decent Fantastic Four movie that is shepherded in some way by the people who make all of the core Marvel Cinematic Universe films possible, this really is this is too much power concentrated in too few hands. And, you know, dare I yeah. say it, too much culture accumulated in too few hands. That, that's that's well said. Um, I mean, the, and, and Fox are, did a damn good job with the X Men franchise. Oh no, no, they, I, I've been even even the worst X Men films I found very entertaining, and, and I I suspect X Men as as a franchise will probably continue as it always has, at least for one more movie after Dark Phoenix. Oh, you think? Um, and yeah, Deadpool will probably be allowed to be Deadpool's own thing. Um, yeah, Disney has already talked to, I think Bob Iger, whoever there's discharge at Disney, was already mentioning wanting to um, consider doing a film branch kind of like what Marvel did with their Marvel Knights line. Was that their kind of R-rated comics line, so to speak? Because, hmm. I mean, Disney, uh, you know, did Miramax, had Mir- owned Miramax, I think, for a while, so... Pulp Fiction is technically a Disney movie, if you want to get down to it. So is Beetlejuice. So Uma Thurman's a Disney princess. Yes, yes. yes but only is. when her character is doing heroin. Uh, with Eric Stoltz, nonetheless. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess, I guess that's, that's kind of... I guess my, my biggest concern, if the merger... Well, I have I have a few concerns if the merger goes through, but one of my most immediate concerns is how is this going to affect streaming? Because D- Disney makes it hard enough to watch a lot of their, particularly their back catalog on various streaming services. Great um, question. Also, so as part of the acquisition, um, Disney gets a fifty percent stake in Hulu, but mm-hmm. Disney is also going to start their own and has already announced they're going to start their own streaming service. Um, whether it, whether they're going to have, I bet if I wanted to bet money and I'm not much of a betting man, I bet you Disney will have several tiers of streaming services. So if you want the kids cart, I shouldn't say kids. If you want the cartoons, the classics, that's going to be something. If you want the Marvel stuff, that's going to be something. If you want Star Wars, that's going to be something. Which I hope not. I hope it's more comprehensive than that. And I guess that's the thing is like, I would, I would consider subscribing to a streaming service where I could watch Disney's back catalog, including like some of the shitty live action stuff from the sixties and seventies. Oh I yeah, a soft yeah. Spot for a lot of those movies, the Apple they, Dumpling Game. But I, I feel like it's a crime that I can't go anywhere to watch classic Donald Duck cartoons. Right, and Disney's made especially their shorts tough to get a hold of. It was only because of Leonard Maltin in the late nineties, basically pleading and writing all these books and stuff about animation. He, you know, was the, um, I don't. Know, he produced all those box sets and the tins, right? Remember those? DVD oh sets? yeah, those were pretty those cool. wonderful. Uh, some of some of which go for quite a bit of money. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm looking at this list of franchises Fox have, and this just blows me away. Planet of the Apes, Alien, Predator, Independence Day, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. That one's important. Um, Die Hard, <laughs> Home Alone, uh, Ice Age, Rio, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yeah, it's and also in, in their television stuff on Fox. How could I forget that? Buffy, Angel. Yeah, it's The Simpsons. Uh, the, the, how could I forget The Simpsons? Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. Hey, Princess Cashmere will become a Disney princess. Bob's Burgers, a show that I'm really liking. Uh Drexel's class. 
MASH, the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Herman's Head. But yeah, as I'm reading this article on Polygon, which is a video game website, they, but they have movie coverage to get the hits, you know. Um, streaming is the future is one of the headlines in here. And I don't think they're wrong. I enjoy physical media, obviously. But um, I, I do think, ironically, one day you're going to see, uh, I think in some ways it's already happened, you're going to see people say, you know, once upon a time there was a thing called cable TV, and you could pay $100 a month and have access to 100 <laughs> channels. And uh, instead of having all these piecemeal $10 a month uh, subscription services. I sort of bogarted that segment. So, Thrasher, please take all the time you wish to say what you've been watching. Oh, well, um, uh, my wife and I finally saw Justice League. Oh, um, yeah. This, this, I haven't seen it yet, but yeah, talk about it. And, in... and, I, and, I did, and I did drag my feet on seeing this just because of my experience with the, the, the previous, the previous uh, slate of DC movies. That being said, I found Justice League to be perfectly adequate. Does that it make is it not the best a good of movie, the DCEU? But it is not a terrible movie. Some so of it... the worst habits of the DC Universe are kept in check. Not excised, but kept in check. And the characters are allowed to have a lot more personality than they've than they've had on any previous film. Like it, it definitely has its problems, but overall, I found it entertaining. Um, as as someone like myself who's not terribly familiar with the comics, what do you think of? Um, do they explain the comic book concepts pretty well? Like I, I've heard the mother boxes in there. I don't know what that no, means. Not really. They they okay. they really don't. They, is it they, is it based on any like run of the comics? Are they kind of no. doing their own thing? Okay. No, no, it's not. I mean the and th- and that's one of the things that I find completely baffling is that the main villain uh, for this movie is is Steppenwolf, and Steppenwolf isn't isn't all that major a villain in the DC universe. He he is. For lack of a better term, he's a mook. He's the mini. He's the mini boss you mini fight boss. in yeah. the third stage of Mega Man before you fight the actual boss. That's kind of where he fits within the ranking of threats in the DC universe. So why they went with him and not uh, his boss, Darkseid, or Darkseid's son, Kalibak, I I have no idea. It's almost as if there was a rights issue preventing them from using a higher tier villain, but I know that can't possibly be the case. I'm sure the band Steppenwolf likes it. <laughs> I hope so. I, I hope they are taking that magic carpet ride all the way to the bank. Is there any Steppenwolf in the soundtrack? Uh, no, uh, at least none that I spotted. And and there 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 is some egregious abuse of pop music, uh, especially during the opening credits. Oh, the opening credits are an embarrassment. Uh, and but but it's still and but like despite the characters having good defined personalities and 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 each getting their and and that's actually another th- thing I got to give them credit for uh all the members of the Justice League get their own arc which is mm. very very refreshing i don't think they've had arcs in any of the previous films saving uh saving wonder for wonder woman um did, did you there, find the shorter running time helped it it did i never got bored okay yeah there was no so a lot of a lot of filler is is missing. I hate what they did to Lois Lane in this movie. She is she's even more of a nothing character than she's been in Man of Steel or Batman v Superman: Colon Dawn of Justice. The thing that 
but there's several like what the fuck moments like like with Cy- with Cyborg they are so dependent on CG for Cyborg that there are a lot of uncanny valley problems with his character uh, which is a shame because he's actually very cool in this movie. I'm really happy with what, the way they portrayed Cyborg. But then there's also like Batman, who's known for using stealth and cunning to defeat villains, has in this movie one of the most the most Zack Snydery piece of equipment he could possibly have: a missile launching armored mechanical spider. Does it look like a penis? No, strangely enough, it just looks okay. like a, a a spider, and and it really is. It's like that. It's like that guy that Kevin Smith always talks about that that producer who was yes, going to do yes. the Superman Lives movie. How like, he always wanted his mechanical spider. Well, now he's got two. He had one in uh, in Wild Wild West, and now there's another one. I guess just for him in Justice League. Even though I'm pretty sure he doesn't have anything to do with this movie. So Danny Elfman um, did the score for Justice League under a tight deadline. Um, how do you feel it was? Anything notable? It's it's a it's a good score. I've liked I've liked it better than the score for uh, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, which um, were Hans Zimmer. I think that that being said, he does he does lift some of the John Williams score from from Superman and some of his own score from Batman. And while those scores are wonderful, they do feel out of place in this movie. Uh, I was reading some interview, and uh, the reason why he did that is he he says he's he's kind of upset that um, the superhero movies haven't done a good job of respecting and calling back to the legacies of uh, you know the original scores and how something like James Bond keeps the James Bond theme going fifty years later. I can respect that, and uh, I mean, yeah. On the other hand, he is um, lifting his own stuff, right? I mean, that's but I, I his Batman theme. Uh, is iconic. No, it probably, as awesome as the 1960s Batman theme is, Danny Elfman's Batman theme probably is the definitive Batman theme. I mean, it's it's stuck with us for 20-plus years, from the movie to to various animated series. They even used... um parts of the Batman and Batman Returns score in the original Lego Batman game. Oh, that's which, right. Which is, uh, and the same with the John Williams stuff which, uh, for Superman, which is quite um, odd. <laughs> Seeing the cute Legos, the very serious operatic <laughs> Danny Elfman pieces. But no, it, 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 I, he, overall he was a good choice to score this film, although I do wish he'd had a bit more time. Right. Um, he did say uh, in, in this one interview I read, he had a much smoother experience doing the music without much studio interference compared to doing music for Spider-Man 2. Well, yeah, they probably didn't have time to give him interference. So in a lot of ways, at least that was an advantage. Oh, I, I will I will say this. Stay for the mid credit sequence. It is worth the price of admission. Okay. Uh, you don't so, have to see the end credit sequence. You can leave before then. So with uh, Justice League, was originally supposed to be two movies. Now it's just one. Uh, Apparently, yes. Because of the uh, disappointing box office of Justice League. That being said, it still made over half a billion dollars. And for that to be considered disappointing just blows my mind. <laughs> but when, by comparison, Avengers makes over a billion is that what it takes to be called a success nowadays? I don't know. Not everything's going to make a billion bucks. Um, 
they're supposed to be rejiggering the, uh, the DC cinematic universe. Yeah, to, to, to the point where there's a lot of scuttlebutt that they are going to do a Flashpoint movie. The, the yep. announced Flashpoint movie may end up quite literally rebooting all the DC films. Uh, I don't know anything about Flashpoint, but I've heard it's one of the better uh, storylines they've had. It's it's a pre- it's a pretty good story, but you have to understand time travel and the consequences of changing the past are a big part of a big part of the movie or a big part of that that story. Yeah. Uh, and I feel I feel like if they do do the use the Flashpoint movie to reboot the entire cinematic universe, they will have learned nothing from the comic book source material because that so rarely ever works on the page, I can guarantee you it's not going to work on the screen. Uh, that being said, it, it, it seems like uh, what started as rumors, I think, have become more concrete. Ben Affleck isn't going to be staying on as Batman past the Flash movie. Which is a if, shame, because he's, he's pretty good at it. You think so? I don't... I mean, I haven't seen Justice League, but I, from Batman v Superman, I liked his... Um, you know, much like George Clooney, I liked his Bruce Wayne. He he is much better as both Batman and Bruce Wayne in Justice League. To to the to okay. the point where I really yeah. would like to see him stick around. Uh, I would love to see him do a solo Batman movie. He was set to write, direct, and star in it, and then they um, didn't like his script or, or something, and they decided to go with uh, Matthew Reeves, who did Planet of the Apes. Um, Oh, whatever the, the the two more recent ones. Yeah, I, yeah, I I hope one day I hope there's a book about. Oh yeah, yeah, a comprehensive book about Batman movies that never happened, and I hope a huge chunk of that book is what Ben Affleck's Batman movie would have been. Right. Um, yeah. No, that's 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 right. I I don't know. I think of what little I've seen of the the Batman shows and stuff and, and comics and the movies I'm pretty familiar with. Um, what I would like to see as a feature is um, uh, or, or let me take this back. Walk uh, back a, super, a little bit? Yeah, walk it back a bit. A superhero thing that they're coming out with that I'm pretty excited to see. So DC's been doing a lot of direct-to-video cartoons for a while, uh, cartoon movies, right? Oh, yeah. And, and what, one of the first ones they did was um, Death of Superman. Which was a pretty uh, terrible bastardization of the original, and they're actually going to do uh, Death of Super, Death and Return of Superman as two as a two part uh, direct to video feature, like they did with the Dark Knight uh, Returns, huh. which I think is a smart way to do it. I wouldn't mind checking that out. I don't know what the art style looks like. I find sometimes the art style looks a bit cheap on their animated features, but. Not nearly as, as bad as in the Marvel animated features. Oh no, those, those are abysmal. I saw. I tried to watch part of an Iron Man one, and it, it wasn't a motion comic either, because I don't mind those as much, because at least you get to preserve the artwork. But um, yeah, this one, it, it looked like, you know, a bad Korean CG. Uh, I thought like the anime Wolverine was kind of cool. It was kind of a cool, or the anime Blade, did you ever see those? Those were kind of neat. No, though that that kind of intrigues me. I wouldn't mind yeah. checking those out. Like at, at least yeah. they, they have a little of a clear vision uh, for what right. that's supposed to look and feel like. Cool. Well, we've we've talked a lot on the show, so we should make our special announcement. Good night, and stay tuned into the new year, which we'll talk about Superman, the motion picture, as part of the Batman Podcast Network.
You can catch, uh, follow the show on Twitter at SequelCast2. Follow me at M-A-T-W-B-T. You can follow me at Internet Mayor. So this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Gee, Transformer, you really like Nietzsche, don't you?